0: Hey, everybody. Uh, we are in Unit 5, Political Participation. A reminder that this is 20 to 27% of your exam. So, decent chunk of information can come from this. There are four topics we're covering uh, with this portion or this podcast here uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Or uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, excuse me. I can't count. That's elect, elections, basically. So, election of president, congressional elections and then uh, modern campaigns and some campaign finance stuff. So really exciting stuff today. righty. So let's jump right in. So 5.8 is electing a president. There's two learning objectives. We got to explain how the different processes work in a U.S. presidential election, and then explain how the Electoral College facilitates and or impedes democracy. So first off there, the uh, presidential election. There's a one piece of essential knowledge, and that is the process and outcomes in U.S. presidential elections are impacted by, and we've got six bullets. So let's go through those. Uh, Well, first off, let's take a step back. The presidential elections, remember, they start really early. There are people right now prepping to run for 2024 elections, uh, presidential elections. Now, Joe Biden is the incumbent, which is the first thing there, the incumbent, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, So he might not have to go through the same process as some Republicans. Republicans are going to have to run against each other in the primaries to start. Okay, so uh, there is that, and then you get the nomination from your party at the National Convention based on the results in the primaries. And then you run in the general election and get voted on in November. So it's a long process, you know, and a lot of money trying to be raised. Uh, people will, will join in, they'll drop out just as quick uh, after the primary starts. So it's a, a quite the process. Okay, let's take a look at all the bullets though for this first piece of essential knowledge. The incumbency the advantage. Now, remember, the incumbent, and this is not just for the presidency, this is for anybody in office, but pres- incumbents are the people that are in office. So, Joe Biden is the incumbent in 2024 because he's already won. He has been the president. For us here locally, Brian Kemp is the incumbent governor because he's running for re election in November as well. Uh, he's the incumbent. They have an advantage. All right. Uh, They have name recognition, so people know who they are, especially if they're running against someone who doesn't have that same name recognition. Uh, For the president, most of the people are going to be kind of well-known, but there are some dark horses sometimes that come out of nowhere. Uh, But anyways, uh, the other thing is incumbents can really credit claim. They can point to the things they've done well. You know, hey, I did this. I got this for you. I did this over here uh, and all those sorts of things. So incumbents are going to win. And we're going to talk about the, the big advantage that congressional incumbents have in just a few minutes when we get to congressional elections. The next thing is open and closed primaries. So the primary season starts in the basically the winter of 24. Um, the Republicans will be running uh, all over the country in these primaries and caucuses. Uh, some states have the caucus, which we'll talk about next. Um, and there's a difference there between open and closed. An open primary means either Republican or Democrat, can go vote. So it's only Republicans running in the Republican primary. If it's an open primary, then the Democrats, because they have nobody to go vote for, because if, if Joe Biden runs again, the Democrats aren't going to primary him. They're not going to make him go run in the primaries because he's the incumbent. So the Democrats won't have anybody to go vote for. All righty. Uh, so maybe since it's open, uh, well, I'll go vote in the Republican primary just to, to throw my vote in there. Okay, now closed would you have to be a registered Republican to vote, or registered Democrat, whichever the primary is? The fear and why closed primaries happen is because the party in charge is fearful that, well, the other party might come in and try and vote for the worst person. Hey, let's vote for Chris Daniels; he's the worst person on that ticket. If we can get him into the general election, we will win going away. Okay, so there's fear there. Uh, Caucuses. These are basically a part of the primary system, uh, except for it's just a different way to vote, okay? Uh, these will take place over the course of a day or however long it takes. Uh, basically, all the candidates will have people there stumping for them. you giving campaign speeches and that sort of stuff, and you'll be there listening, and then you'll go sit with a group that you want to vote for, and that's how your vote will be counted. It's time-consuming. I would not vote if Georgia ever went this way. Uh, party convention, so both Republicans and Democrats will have the the party conventions in the summer of twenty four. Uh, the Democrats will get to go last because they are the incumbency. Uh, so the Republicans will probably have theirs in late July, early August, and the well probably yeah. And then the Democrats will have theirs pretty close after that, sometime in, in but afterwards because it, there's some momentum that happens from being the last one. You're fresh on people's minds and that sort of stuff. Uh, the general elections happen. Presidential elections will happen November of 24, okay? Uh, so you, as a Republican, are going to be running against all these different Republicans that are out there. You're going to be saying all this stuff against them. And then you get the nomination. You have to switch gears because now you got to run against the other party. And so there there's some issues that happen there. Uh, and then finally is the Electoral College. Uh, the Electoral College plays a role because uh, hopefully you know that every state has different numbers, okay? So when you talk about electoral votes, um, you have some states that are huge, like California has 55, Texas 38, New York 29, so on and so forth. Um, other states are very small. Alaska has three. North Dakota has three. Okay? And, and so that factors into how you're going to go campaign and where you're going to be looking to get votes from. You're not going to spend too much time in, in Montana where there's three votes. All right, the second piece of learning, not, uh, learning objective was about the Electoral College and how it facilitates and or impedes democracy. And the essential knowledge was the winner-take-all of votes per state under the setup of the Electoral College compared with the national popular vote for president raises questions about whether the Electoral College facilitates or impedes democracy. To be honest with you, this is just a personal opinion choice thing for you. You have to decide uh, what you think, okay? Okay. Uh, The Electoral College can sometimes go against the popular vote does that mean that takes the choice out of our hands as citizens and as the, the voters, uh, the winner take all part. We've already talked about once in another podcast, but that's where if you win 50% of a state, you get all the, the electoral votes. There is no splitting them. So whoever wins 50% here in Georgia, they get all 16 votes. You know, that That's a big deal. So once again, it, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, yes, it facilitates democracy. Yes, it impedes democracy. That's a choice you have to make, and it's split. Okay, there are people out there that feel both ways. So uh, that's something that you have to kind of critically think about. righty, 5.9 is congressional elections. And it says to explain the learning objective explain how the different processes work in u.s congressional elections and then the essential knowledge is kind of the same as the first bit for the electing the president uh process and outcomes in u.s congressional elections are impacted by and then some of the same things here incumbency open and closed caucuses and general elections uh so first off the incumbency advantage same deal as on the presidential side so i'm not going to repeat myself but it is more pronounced to me on, in congress 90% of the time or so, House members that are incumbents win re-election, and then about 70% of the time in the Senate, incumbents win. So it is a big deal, especially in Congress, to be the incumbent. Once you are in office, you have a good chance to stay in office if you choose to run because you do have that name recognition. Uh, and especially at the congressional level, name recognition is huge, all right? And you can credit claim. You can do all kinds of stuff that your challenger can't say. I did this, this, and this. Your challenger can't say that stuff because they haven't been in office. They can only say what they want to do, but they have no no way to back it up, no way to prove that they're going to be able to get that done. You can you can say I've done this, this, and this. Open and closed primaries, so there there uh, this varies from state to state and from you know party to party. Uh, you know, for example, uh, in two, 2020, uh, there probably should have been a primary for the Republican Senate seat for Kelly Loeffler. Okay, she was the incumbent, uh, but a lot of people kind of came out of the woodwork to run against her. They probably should have primaried that, but they chose not to. Uh, here in our governor race, uh, there's going to be a primary uh, for on the Republican side because you got David Perdue running against uh, uh, Brian Kemp. Okay, um, and the same stuff applies: open and closed. You know, you have to be either a member of the party or not. Caucus is the same deal; uh, it's just a way of voting. And then the presidential general elections. So what you need to know here, you've got presidential versus midterm. We're coming up on midterms in 2022. There's going to be less turnout. So there'll be less people that show up to vote in 2022 than there will be in 2024. People show up for the presidential elections. All right. 5.10 is the modern campaigns and the learning objective. There's one says to explain how campaign organizations and strategies affect the election process. The essential knowledge says the benefits and drawbacks of modern campaigns are represented by, and then we got four bullets. So let's talk about that. The the dependence on professional consultants. If you want to work in politics, you can go and be a professional campaign manager. Like, that is a job, and you can probably make tons of money. Uh, And and people that are running for office are going to hire consultants to dictate to them what they need to do. And those people are going to hire a huge staff. They're going to hire pollsters. They're going to hire people to go out and work, campaign events, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and they're going to tell them, this is what you should say. This is what you should talk about. Um, so it is, it is something that's very different from what, what it used to be. I mean, you, you had people that worked for you uh, as, a, as someone who was running for office, but today it is you know, like, it's a full-time job. Uh, rising campaign costs and intensive fundraising efforts. The numbers are crazy. Like it blows my mind, the numbers that are out there. Um, you know, I like to cite the the 2016 election. Hillary Clinton raised over a billion dollars. Donald Trump raised over 800 million dollars. Okay, that's one billion with a B, and that's 800 million dollars that they raised. That's 1.8 billion dollars that was raised between the two of them to run for office. Okay, think of all the stuff they could have done. So one of the huge things people are doing, you know, said so people are getting ready to run for the presidency now. They're looking to raise money. They're putting out feelers. Am I going to be able to raise enough money to run? Because you know, if you don't have the money, you're not going to be able to run for office uh, with all these these things. Uh, duration of the election cycles. If you're getting ready to run now, you're putting together your staff, you're putting together your fundraising vehicles and all that kind of stuff. Man, it's a grind to run for the presidency. It's not just, oh, you know what? Primary start in a couple of weeks. Let me go run for for the president. You have to really work two, three, four years in advance of running an actual campaign uh, for the election before you, it, it's just, it's a grind for people and it wears people down sometimes. Uh, and then the impact of and reliance on social media for campaign communication and fundraising. And this is what we've been talking about with some of the other advances. is really going to be a uh, candidate-centered campaign versus the the party-centered. And, and a lot of that comes from the social media stuff. You know, it's a, it's a great way for candidates to reach out to their constituents directly versus having to go through TV, having to talk through you know, a media outlet or whatever it might be. They can talk directly to you, and so that's a, a huge deal. All right, finally is 5.11, and that is campaign finance. Really super exciting stuff. Um, the learning objective is to explain how the organization, finance, and strategies of national po- political campaigns affect the election process. The essential knowledge, there are uh, three things here, and uh, there's there's a lot to unpack. Okay, I'm going to try and be as brief as possible with this um, and stick to just what's in the the college board essential knowledge stuff here. Uh, The first thing is federal legislation and case law pertaining to campaign finance demonstrates the ongoing debate over the role of money and political ad, political and free speech as set forth in. And then there's two things. There's the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. You might see this McCain-Feingold. And then the Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. Let's spend most of our time on these two things. Okay. Uh, the McCain-Feingold or Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002 uh, reformed the uh, the uh, Federal Election Commission Act from 1970 or so. Okay. And the big talking points for the McCain-Feingold was to make an effort to ban soft money and reduce tech ads. So remember, there's a difference between hard money and soft money. Hard money is that money that goes to the candidates, you're limited and they're limited how much they can take. from you. They have to record uh, all the money and they have to, you know, who it came from, where it's going and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a pain, OK, for hard money. Soft money is money that goes to the parties and it's unlimited. You can donate pretty, pretty much as much as you want to. They were trying to reduce the amount of soft money because it was, you know, I, I can't donate any more to the, the candidate, but I can donate as much as I want to to this political party over there. Okay. Um, and then the other thing was reduce attack ads. You know, attack ads are those where they're going after people. Um, and so candidates and parties are going to have to say, hey, I'm such and such and I support this message. And they're going to say, paid for by the Republican Party. You know, so they have to, to make their uh, who they are and, and, and they have to stand by uh, there and th- y- y- pay attention to that. Okay. You know, when you start seeing the, the campaign messages, you'll see these things. Uh, and you'll see ads that are paid for by the candidates. You'll see p- campaign ads that are paid for by the political parties. You'll see them paid for by interest groups. You'll see them paid for by the PACs, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So just all kinds of stuff going on there. Okay. But that's the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. It tried to clean up some of the stuff going on uh, with campaign finance. The next one is the Citizens United versus the FEC. This is a required court case. So Citizens United was an interest group, and they had taken money from businesses, corporations, those types. And they had made a movie with this called Hillary the Movie. And it was basically an attack ad, but it was you know, made into a movie, basically. Um, did not put her in a very good light. Now, this was in 2008 when she was running uh, for president versus uh, Barack Obama. So this was during the Democratic primaries. And uh, so obviously, you know, it's not something that that she wants out there. Uh, and eventually, the FEC is going to be made aware of it. And they're going to put a stop to it because part of the bipartisan campaign reform act says the businesses can't donate to this type of, 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 of interest group. So that, that's kind of the heart of the case there. So that's why it's Citizens United versus FEC, because the FEC that is the Federal Election Commission. They're the ones that uh, handle all campaign finance. Now, they do not run the elections. That's not their job. That's the state's. They're going to watch over the campaign finance. And if they need to, they can potentially step in. Uh, sometimes when the state has issues or county, but they're not going to do anything beyond that. Okay. So anyways, uh, They put a halt to it, so Citizens United is going to fight that, and that's where the suit comes from, all right? What you need to understand is that, and from this case, what you need to understand is that basically the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of Citizens United. They're going to rule in favor of the corporations, the businesses, the unions, all those kind of people, and say that the spending that they do is tied to free speech, so you cannot limit who the businesses, corporations, all the kind of stuff can can give money to because you're violating their free speech. So if you can understand nothing else, just understand that campaign spending was tied to free speech for these businesses, associations, corporations, unions, things like that. All right. It's a pretty complicated case, but that's as simplified as we can get it uh, in the time we have for this. All right. The next essential knowledge is debates have increased over free speech and competitive and fair elections related to money and campaign funding, including contributions from individuals, political action committees, and political parties. So let's unpack a couple of things here. Uh, the debates about free speech comes from the Citizens United decision. It's it's going to be something that people talk about, all right, um, and argue about because money typically equals influence and, you know, businesses and organizations can can give more money than individuals and stuff like that. All right. Now, the political action committees, just so you know, these were created to kind of get around some of the restrictions that were placed on uh, individual donations. So I give money. But I have more money to give. So let me give it to this group over here, this political action committee, whatever you want to name them. Uh, Let me give money to them and then they can give money. So it was just a way to split your money, basically, and reach your limits on how much you give to this this individual or this party or whatever it might be. And then I can give more money to these groups over here, and then they can turn around and funnel the money to them. So that's all political action committees are. It's just a fundraising arm of whatever, whether it's a business, whether it's a union, whether it's an interest group, whether it's, I read an article today that Mitch McConnell uh, has a political action committee and they just gave seven million dollars to um somebody in alaska or they didn't give the money to the 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 senator from alaska they i can't remember i i'm drawing a blank on what they actually did so i probably shouldn't even brought it up because i don't know enough about it but they have one donald trump has a political action committee where he's supporting um, uh he's not supporting the article said he was very stingy with his money but giving money to people okay um so There is that. And then the final one is the different types of PACs influence elections and policymaking through fundraising and spending. So what do the PACs do with their money? The PACs are going to give money to candidates, but that's been restricted at this point. And so that's where we have super PACs and stuff like that coming from. Um, Mainly PACs nowadays are going to, they're going to donate some money, but they're going to try and influence campaigns. They're going to run commercials. They're going to... Uh, you know, set up campaign events and things like that with their money. So a lot of the, the PAC spending doesn't necessarily go to the candidates anymore. It's spent for the candidates or on the candidates, uh, not directly from the the candidate because a lot of that stuff is regulated. Your PACs are limited to how much they can donate to candidates nowadays uh, per election and things like that. So um, that's campaign finance. And once again, it's a pretty heavy... And boring topic, so try to keep it as light and as limited as possible to the, just the essential knowledge listed in the uh, the College Board book. So, if you have any questions about that, as always, please let's talk about it. Because as boring as it can be, it's kind of interesting some sometimes. So, if you have questions or want to talk about anything, let's talk about it through email, text, remind, whatever you got to do. Find me, and we'll have a conversation. Uh, But that is uh, Unit 5 section topics 8, 9, 10, 11. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.